So as we move into the next chapter, I'm going to read a couple of verses for you. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. So God speaks to uh, Moses, speaks to God and says, you know, why, why did we do this? Why did you send me? And then God reaffirms to Moses about the covenant and to tell them what he's going to do. And it's the promise that they're going to get to where he is leading them. But in verse nine, it says, so Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, but they did not heed Moses. They did not listen to Moses. They heard his words, but they did not believe him because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. Because of the additional work that they had to do, now they're not listening to what Moses has to say. Their, their spirits are crushed. Their bodies are being crushed. And in that state, they dare not to hope. They dare not to believe what he was saying. So that's where we see the action. Pause for a moment. God speaking to Moses. Moses speaking to the people. And they're not at the place where they can receive what God is saying. But God's plan is already in motion. And in this chapter, we go a little bit further and it talks about the family of Moses and Aaron. And this in verse 20, we see where um, the names of Moses' parents, Amran and Josheved, uh, he, <laughs> and his father's sister, uh, he takes as a wife. So his aunt, he married his aunt and she bears um, Aaron and Moses. And we learn a little bit more about his family. So going a little further down, verse 30 tells us, Moses said before the Lord, behold, I am of uncircumcised lips and how shall Pharaoh heed me? So even Moses needs uh, a reassurance that he's the man for the job. Have you ever felt that way? <laughs> okay, let's just pause for that. Have you ever felt that way? Am I really the one, Lord? You sure you're calling me? You sure we can do this? The people don't believe Moses. They're not heeding Moses. And Moses himself is wondering if he is the man for the job. But as we transition over to chapter 7, see, I have made you as God to Pharaoh. And Aaron, your brother, shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you. And Aaron, your brother, shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his land 
pause there. Moses didn't even have to come up with the words to say. Moses didn't have to sit down and write a script. Moses didn't have to come and think how to piece the words together. All he had to do was open his mouth and say what God was saying. And verse three, he continues on, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and I will multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not heed you so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. So the signs were necessary. The process that God had orchestrated was necessary, not just for the people of Israel to be removed from Egypt and from bondage, but also for the people of Egypt to see that there is a true God, that there is the real God, and he is above every other God that they worship. So when Moses and Aaron stand before the Lord, it tells us in this chapter in verse seven that he was 80. Moses was 80 and Aaron was 83. So they're elderly gentlemen, but this was the timing of the Lord, all right? You could say, well, why didn't he send him when he was younger, when he had more strength? This was the timing of the Lord. Why didn't I get this when I was younger? Or why didn't you call me when I was younger, Lord? This is the timing of the Lord. And we have to trust God. Not only does he make the plan, but he knows the perfect timing. Now we start to see the signs that God told Moses about come into play. Well, Aaron takes the rod and he puts it on the ground and the rod turns into a serpent. But Pharaoh's wise men and um, his sorcerers or magicians, they do the same thing. But the difference is that Aaron's rod now swallows up the rods of the magicians and the wise men. The miraculous wonders that God had already pronounced that he would do are going to start to come into play. So he wants to strike at the confidence and the pride of the Egyptians. We're in chapter 7 and here's what it says at verse 14. So the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. And so we start with the different signs and wonders, also known as the plague. So the first one, I'm just going to read through, it goes from chapter, from 7 all the way through 11, the different plagues. I'm going to briefly touch on them and give you some interesting points that you can note about it. So the first one is that the water turns into blood. With, with these plagues, for some of them, including this one, there is forewarning. So God instructs Moses to tell Pharaoh what's going to happen is a forewarning. And when, of course, Pharaoh's heart is hardened, so he's not changing his mind about letting the people go, and the water turns into blood. And what happens there is that the fish die, the, the river smells, and the people are without water. Verse 22 tells us in chapter 7 that the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. And then Pharaoh's heart grows hard. He did not heed them, nor did he, he um, let the people go. 
so the the magicians and the sorcerers within Egypt, they also now go to like the wells and turn the wells water, the fresh water into blood. It's going to show you that they were able to do it not by the power of God. This is now the occult at work. It's not that they were able to reverse and purify the water that had already turned into blood, but they just turned more water into blood. So that's not, that's not, they're not um, taking God's power and doing it that way. They're starting to work on the dark side and to do these things. All right, so that's the first one we hit. Now, the second one, as we move into chapter eight, we see that a plague of frogs come. Now, the Egyptians at that time actually worshipped the frog. And the, the frogs come out from the water and they completely cover the land. And so since the Egyptians, they worship the frogs, God gave them a plague of frogs. And so God is showing, continuing to show that, hey, his power is greater and that he could upset any type of scale. Through the plagues, you will see God builds in, his, in the intensity and he builds in, in the judgment and he gives an opportunity for Pharaoh to uh, repent, to change his mind and to let the people go. Even though he knows he's not going to, there are many instances of the mercy of God we see in this. Now, when the frogs come, it also tells us in, in verse seven that the magicians did the same thing. They did their little magic and brought up frogs on the land of Egypt. Like I said, they did not get the frogs that were there to go. They added to it. So the occult is at work. Now, as we continue on, uh, I want to read verse 15. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said. So the frogs are, are removed after Pharaoh's like, okay, oh, what's going on? And then when he sees that they're removed, he doesn't let them go. He hardens his heart. So that leads us to the next plague, which is the plague of lice. We're still in chapter eight. So all the dust of Egypt now become a massive swarm of lice. And as it does this, the lice go on every man and every beast. This strikes at the heart of their worship and their sacrificial system of the Egyptians because they're not going to sacrifice any animal that is lice infested. So in this play, God is striking at the heart of their sacrificial worship system. And in verse 18 to 19, it says, the magicians so worked with their enchantment to bring forth lice, but they could not. So the first one they were able to, to duplicate, the second one they were able to replicate, but the third one with the lice, they were not able to do it. And so the magicians say to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart grows hard. Pharaoh doesn't heed them but it's just as the Lord has said. In chapter eight, we continue on and we see that after the, the plague of lice, there is the plague of flies. In verse 20, the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water. Then say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Or else if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. Now I'm going to them quickly, but if you get a chance to read through, you'll see that before any plague comes, God gives Moses an instruction to tell Pharaoh. 
So he's giving him, for some of them, uh, advance warning, but he's letting him know the purpose of these plagues because God wants his people to be let go. And now here we realize we're getting the point that the magicians have, have stopped. They cannot duplicate what's happening now. And also we read in this this um, description that Goshen, the place where the Israelites live, Goshen is spared. So the plagues are hitting every house of the Egyptians, even Pharaoh's house, but not the houses of the Israelites in Goshen. When when this plague happens, it, Pharaoh calls Moses and Aaron and says, go sacrifice to your God in the land. He said, okay, fine, go, go sacrifice. But he's telling them to sacrifice where they are. And Moses says to him in verse 26, it is not right to do so for we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians, the Lord, our God. If we sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, then will they not stone us? We will go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice the Lord, our God, as he will command us. And Pharaoh says to him in verse 28, I will let you go that you may sacrifice the Lord, your God in the wilderness. Only you shall not go very far away. So now you can leave, but you can't go three days. Intercede for me. Pharaoh is trying to strike up a deal, right? Because now all of the worship and all of the sacrificing of the Egyptians within Egypt, Egypt has stopped. But even after he tells Moses that Pharaoh's heart is hardened again, and he will not let the people go. Moving into chapter nine, the next play that comes on is the livestock. And so starting off with the first verse, the Lord says to Moses, go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go that they may serve me. And he says, if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, the hand of the Lord will be on your cattle in the fields, on the horses, on the donkeys, on the camels, on the oxen, and on the sheep. A very severe pestilence. So now the livestock will be wiped out. But all the livestock of the Israelites will be spared. So these plagues are really only attacking Egypt, the people of Egypt and their houses. And he says to him, tomorrow I will do this in the land. Oh, God is directing this plague at the Egyptian god Hathor, who was thought to be um, a mother goddess in the form of a cow. And so by attacking the cows and all the livestock, he was striking at the heart of this particular um, goddess. All right. Once again, wanting to show that he is mightier and greater than any pagan god. But the scripture says the heart of Pharaoh becomes hard and he does not let the people go. Okay, so the next one's coming. We're now at the sixth plague. And the Lord says to Moses and Aaron, you know, take for yourselves handful of ashes from a furnace and let Moses scatter it toward the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh. And it will become fine dust in the land of Egypt and it will cause boils that break out in sores on man and beast throughout all of the land of Egypt. So now the sixth one is boils. It's going to come on every person and every animal, right? But what happens? The Lord hardens the heart of Pharaoh and he did not heed them just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. So God said he would not let them go and Pharaoh is not letting them go. And so this dust comes on the people and the boils break out. And not only do the magicians and the wise men not 
be able to replicate this um, this plague, but now they are also struck with boils as well. So that whole system of sorcerers and wise men, they are also experiencing the weight of God's hand. That doesn't move um, Pharaoh, and so we're moving on to the seventh plague. And in this plague, we see hail. Hail comes, um, hailstorms come, and they kill the slaves and the animals that are left out in the fields unprotected. And verse 23, uh, Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire darted to the ground. And the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail and fire mingled with the hail, so very heavy that there was none like it in all of the land of Egypt since it became a nation. So we can tell that this was a huge moment in their history with the hail coming and the loss of lives and also more livestock. At verse 27, Pharaoh sends and calls for Moses and Aaron and says to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and my people and I are wicked. Entreat the Lord that there may be no more mighty thundering and hail, for it is enough. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. And so the hail stops. And when Pharaoh sees that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more. And he hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard, neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken by Moses." Pharaoh, he is not letting them go. His heart is hardened. God is embarrassing his worship and sacrificial system. He is making an open show of all of the systems that he relies on with his magicians and sorcerers and all of that. And yet, even though his defenses are starting to come down, we're seeing the things that hold him up and prop up his throne. He is not moving. He's not budging. So we're moving on to the next, the next plague, which is plague number eight. And the Lord said to Moses in chapter 10, go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the hearts of his servant, that I may show these signs of mine before him. So God is letting Moses know why Pharaoh's heart is hardened, why things are going the way that they're going. All right. He wants to show the signs. He wants to reveal his, his power. Verse 2, and that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your son's son the mighty things I have done in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. As Israel is going to come out of Egypt and, and start to be shaped into a nation, God is setting this up so that they would be able to, to have the account and the record of the power of God and the God that delivered them, they would be able to know what he is really able to do and that he is a true and mighty God. Mm -hmm.